You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It is the 18th of uh, May. 2017, and the world woke up to bad news this morning. It's been a rough morning for people of a certain age. Chris Cornell, one of the founders of Seattle's hard-rocking, punk-inspired grunge sound, was reported dead at age 52. Now, I knew Chris nearly 10,000 years ago when I was a young drifter and peace activist in Seattle's University District. He and, his band, he and his band Soundgarden played benefit concerts for the Seattle Coalition for Peace in the Middle East, and I'm pretty sure he played at PeaceWorks Park more than one occasion. If you were in Seattle in 1990 or 91 and ever spent time at the last exit in Brooklyn, you'd remember Chris' company quite well. He's going to be dearly missed by those who knew him and by millions of loyal and loving fans throughout the world. From Soundgarden to Audio Slave to Temple of the Dog, Cornell Sound is the background soundtrack to many of our now middle-aged lives. Rest in peace, friend. Thank you for being a hero musician. Okay, friends, welcome to Webcology. I'm Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, and Dave's not here. Uh, Dave Davies is on his uh, second, maybe third honeymoon. Uh, him and uh, wife Mary are in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, so... Anyone listening in the Puerto Vallarta region, order a drink to Dave's room. He won't notice for hours. Joining in the uh, in the in the uh, 
guest co-host seat is Christine Schackinger from the Vetters and Sites Without Walls. Christine, you are a hero. Thank you so much for uh, volunteering to co-host last <laughs> second. You got my name right. <laughs> I know, eh? It's amazing. <laughs> we're getting. We're actually. We, we're we're trying to be professionals on the show. You know, ten years <laughs> in, and we're trying to do it right. <laughs> so I got the name right, Shackinger. I, yes. I I sat here and pronounced it to myself for a good half hour before the show because you know how erotic <laughs> I get. <laughs> You know what, Christine? It's, it's a good thing. I'm, I'm I'm so glad you were there when I when I uh, messaged you and asked you to come on because some of the stuff that went down this week, a lot of the stuff that went down this week, is specifically stuff that you've been interested in researching. Um, I, I would consider you one of our specialists in, uh, especially the topic of cybersecurity. Why? Thank you. Well, it was, you know, it was one of those weeks for cybersecurity, eh? Like a pretty bad one. Um, <laughs> pretty bad one, yeah. The uh, WANA, well, actually it was WantaCrypt, shortened to WannaCry virus, uh, ransomware, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't a virus. It was, it was a straight-out attack of, uh, through ransomware uh, spread around the world, primarily in Europe. It was uh, stopped before it got across the ocean for the most part. Christine, could you just give us a quick rundown on, 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 on what happened? Um, well, they got some tools from our government. Yeah, <laughs> from, able from to, an NSA hack, yeah. Yes, from an NSA hack from the shadow brokers uh, that allowed them to use an exploit in Windows. Uh, Windows 7 and above was already patched if you've been running your patches. But older versions like XP and Vista, which are still used in uh, other parts of the world, in great quantities, uh, it was allowed to use a hole in there in something called the SMB, and that enabled it to, to rapidly fire across entire networks. And in fact, I believe at the last count was something like 350,000 computers in just a few days. Now, 350,000 mightn't sound like a lot of computers, relatively speaking, but some of these computers were, you know, the servers that run hospitals, Britain's National Health Service. Um, I understand Fran France's health service got shut down. Like, these 350,000 computers, some of them were actually heavy hitters, right? Right. And uh, actually, I, I heard an interview with the National Health System in uh, Britain, and they were pretty crippled because uh, things like surgeries couldn't happen because they couldn't get the films or the uh, background on the patient. And uh, they were kind of stuck in the water for hours uh, while they tried to pull up um, print records, which they also keep a copy of. But that's not on location and not easy to get to. And, of course, with typical British resolve, they uh, decided not to pay the hackers and just told the dying people to stay alive if they didn't mind. <laughs> well, actually, it is recommended that you don't pay the hackers because people do pay the hackers. They keep doing this. Oh, yes, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, you, and, you, and you can't pay terrorists. I mean, that's right. just hard, sometimes very hard to let an awful thing happen. But we can't encourage terrorists by acquiescing to their demands right right and 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 that's hard to say if it's if your system and you don't have it backed up and you're about to lose everything really hard to tell someone not to pay um but the problem is also once you pay you may or may not get your files back and they may ask for more money so uh, yeah. it's not it's not a straightforward honor among thieves kind of concept well, so. and, and it's funny in your answer just a second ago you said one of the most critical and important yet simple things 
system backed up. Yeah, if your system was backed up to date or up in the cloud somewhere we had a backup, you could just shut down your computer, wipe everything, and then have it reloaded, and then it would it would all be okay. Because the ransomware encrypts everything, and you're getting basically a key to unencrypt it. So it, it's not that your system has like this virus that can't can't remove, right? So um, if they wipe it all all clean, um, if you were on a Mac or a Linux, you didn't have this problem. This was just purely a Windows problem. But a funny thing is, the Bitcoin people. Yeah, they wanted people to pay with. Well, people on Windows XP and Vista aren't probably as tech savvy, and so they had to, <laughs> they had to set up no lie a help desk to get people to pay them. Oh my goodness! Because they didn't know how to do Bitcoin. Um, I understand. Uh, I, I was listening to um, uh, Metnick, uh, uh, Kevin Metnick, one of the, the the original hackers, talking about this uh, this attack. And saying that they weren't very sophisticated. Um, do, you know, do you know anything about the investigation into trying to figure out who these guys are? The only thing I've heard so far is it has the signatures of North Korea. Uh, some of the similar code that they found from other North Korean hacks were found in this code. Okay. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's North Korea. These are types of attacks are much harder to pin down. And then say like someone just intrudes into like Sony because there are footprints that are left behind there. Um, but right now they're they're thinking that it's probably North Korean hackers. Okay, the the uh, the way this attack was stopped was uh, was, was actually kind of cool and really simple. <laughs> what was it, like a 21-year-old kid in, so, in the south of England who was uh, works for a, security, a North American security company, but was just sort of screwing around in his bedroom when he saw the attack happen and, you know, spent three days trying to figure out how to stop it. Yeah, I thought it was... He accidentally ran across that they hard-coded the uh, website that it goes to into mm. the into the system, which normally you wouldn't do. It'd be dynamically generated or something. But not only that, they didn't buy the domain name. Okay, and I understand once the uh, once the uh, query the um, the attack is sent back to the domain it originated from, it's designed to stop, right? Uh, you know, I'm I don't remember the very specific on on how the domain was in why the domain was in there so i'd have to go look that detail up but but they didn't buy the domain name so he bought the domain name that was in there yeah and it's sort of like a fail safe it was like a you know hey if we want to stop this we can stop it but they forgot to buy the domain to stop it <laughs> so he bought the domain name and then he used that domain name to stop it now, of course, they can change the domain and resend it out there, but it did stop the spread long enough for the word to get out and for it to, to not become so infectious. You know, there's, I think there's an impor- a couple important takeaways from this. Uh, number one, um, back up your files. And it doesn't matter if you're on uh, Windows, Mac, Linux, whatever. You were protected, no, if you, you were protected this time. Like, it wasn't going to get you this time, but you don't right. know next time. You know? It's a com- yeah. It's a common myth that Macs and doesn't don't get attacked. They do. Yeah. Um, like th- this time, you're 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 absolutely right. Uh, the people who were using Macs or using Linux were absolute were perfectly safe, eh? But next time, you know, right? Right. Exactly. Next time, it could be a Mac that gets hit. So, friends, uh, you know, back your stuff up. <laughs> Just like <laughs> back stuff up. I, I I used to suggest people back up their systems weekly, and that that's in in my business. We had to back up everything on our hard drives weekly. And, you know, as of last week, that became daily. 
Yeah, and if you're a, if you're a business um, like a healthcare business or you know a business with sensitive data, there are protections out there now that will stop most of these ransomware attacks. And what they do is they sit on your perimeter, and when it tries to go call back uh, to their network, which it has to do to in, to start the encryption because it has to get the key, um, it will block that from occurring. So if you are somebody who has um, important or sensitive data, like at a healthcare system or a medical company or a server company, any of those kind of things, you want to look into one of those solutions. They're not perfect, but they're pretty good. Oh, and if you are one of those solutions, you might want to get a couple crackerjack markages on your side really fast because today is the day you should be making bank. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They, they don't mar- they don't market very well. <laughs> Today's the day you really should be making like the fortune you retire on because everybody <laughs> wants you right now. <laughs> exactly. Everybody okay. wants you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. A little bit squire there. Um, moving along, another thing that I'd say that you're you know, knowledge high knowledge making you have a high knowledge perhaps even an expert knowledge on is um you know the regulations around how the net is uh well regulated um earlier today the uh fcc the uh federal communications commission um voted two to one uh, straight straight on down partisan lines um to open debate on well, basically, undoing net neutrality rules that the Obama administration put in place over the last couple of years. So we, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Write your congressman, write the FCC, write your senator, write whoever you can write. Do something about it while it's here. Um, it's a terrifying thing. Um, Christine, the, the, um, the audience has heard me over and over and over again, talk about the importance of net neutrality and why net neutrality is important. You know, I'm sure I bore them to tears on it. In, uh, <laughs> in, 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 in a quick paragraph, could you could you try to explain to, to you why is net neutrality important? Well, first of all, I first learned about it years ago when you and Dave did a debate on it at SES, uh, I S- think S- it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at the photos a few minutes ago. Were you? I took those photos. You did? <laughs> yeah, I did. So, uh, so net neutrality basically allows us to have a, everyone's always about free markets, right? Net neutrality allows the internet to be a free market. Everybody's treated the same. All data's treated the same. You can put up a little mom and pop site and heck, you can go after and compete against the Walmart if you want to on a selling TV sets or something, right? But It's been done. Yeah, exactly. But if this goes through, there's several things. One they could break up your internet like they break up your cable. So you'd have to pay for tiers and premium and you might have a social package and, you know, a, a Wikipedia package and a, a search engine package or however they want to break it up. Um, then they can also slow down access uh, for sites. So uh, like the Netflix would have to pay more to be able to deliver content. Mm-hmm. And they could also block sites like Netflix. So if Comcast decides that it has a... Uh, a product it wants to compete with Netflix on, they could just say no more Netflix. All Comcast subscribers can no longer get Netflix. You're going to use ours. So or, basically, or, what's that? Or just sorry, just to sort of bring this home to Cranberry Radio listeners. Let's say one of the ISPs, maybe Comcast, owned a whole whack load of radio stations. Right. 
And, uh, you know, they're a little bit threatened by podcasts and uh, internet radio, and they decide to slow our signal down to where our show just doesn't make sense at all. Uh, They could do that. Yeah, because then you'd have to pay more for access to actually deliver your content at proper speeds. So um, it's a really devastating bill. And the only thing it does is way, way, way back in the day when they needed them to build out the last, the first, call it the last mile or first last mile. mile. Yeah. Yeah. From the backbone of the internet the government created to users is they needed these companies to do it. And they gave them exclusive arrangements and huge tax breaks with the idea. And the guarantee, supposedly, that when the infrastructure needed to be updated years later, they would do that. They decided when that time came, they would not do that. They would now try to undo net neutrality and earn more money so we can pay for the upgrades that they obligated themselves to do on their dime, not our backs. So it's even a, it's a, it's kind of a little despicable thing on their part is that the only reason they exist is they got these breaks and they got these exclusivity agreements. That's why there's monopolies in so many areas of the country. And yet now they want the consumer to pay for them to do these upgrades. And yet they're making in profit billions of dollars a quarter. And now they'll say small ISPs can't compete in this environment. Well, that may or may not be true depending on which ISP you're talking about. But not many of us have access to small ISPs. We're, we're beholden to one or two big ones in our area because those monopolies were set up originally so that they could build out that last mile. Yeah, and uh, now we're in a pickle because um, think of all the businesses that were, that were enabled from fast, free, unfettered uh, internet connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I could argue that Facebook and Google would be nowhere if we live, would, would not have evolved Hundred percent in a non-net neutral world. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. It'll basically kill innovation um, for small startups that don't have some bank behind them. Okay. Well, as of today, <laughs> this is. <laughs> I don't make this up, friends. I just report it as I, as I see it. As of today, consumers have ninety days to leave comment on the proposal. However. Because of a procedural quirk at the FCC, the FCC will not be considering any comments on the issue of net neutrality that are submitted over the next week. So, if anybody is a fan of John Oliver, this is the easiest way. you you got to get... Slacktivism can save us. It saved us before. It may well save us again. Yes. Uh, you, the world it really is at your fingertips, friends. And a really easy website to remember, a really easy URL if you want to uh, register your, your, your opinion with the FCC, was put up by, uh, by uh, John Oliver, host of Last Week Tonight. Uh, it's gofccyourself.com. Gofccyourself.com. If you go there right now, you will not be able to put a comment up. But um, if you go to the FCC website, you also will not be able to put a comment up. Uh, Go FCC yourself takes you directly to the comment form on the FCC website, which apparently is very well hidden because they don't want to hear. It is very well hidden. You can't reach it on mobile. Okay. I tried. You, you can't. You, you can't can. get to it on mobile. You will be able to through Go FCC yourself, except you right. can't right now because the FCC isn't doesn't want to take your comments, and they've found a way to shut it down 
for uh, the next uh, seven days. You know why? Because when John Oliver sent those comments through, right now there's 1.6 million comments sitting there. Oh, and they just, what, they just haven't, like, uh, filled in enough slots in the uh, bureaucracy to have somebody read them, or they can't find people who are literate and still share their ideology? No, they just want to shut down the number of comments that'll come through. Those 1.6 million are from a few weeks of people making comments, especially from John Oliver's show. If those people don't all come back and remake the comments, they don't count. Oh, you're you're kidding. Really? No, the other thing people have to be very aware of is you'll see petitions go around, and those are great, and sign those. But if you don't go to the FCC site and make a public comment, they do not read it. The other thing I would suggest is uh, letting your senators know you're not happy with this. And it's really easy. There's something called ResistBot. You just text 50409, text RESIST to 50409, and it'll prompt you through sending to your senators anything you want to say about this. And it it makes a letter. And it faxes it, and they'll even make a actually postal mail it as well. Okay, friends, I I, I know this isn't the most interesting subject in the world. It's, you know, <laughs> how the web is regulated, woohoo! But I'm but I'm telling you, if you're listening to this podcast because you're an internet marketer and you want to learn, you know, more about internet marketing, this is your issue. It's important to you. The environment you work in will be irrevocably changed if they remove net neutrality protections. And I I, I honestly, I don't know the repercussions of that. I can speculate on what might happen. Yeah. Really? It it will be different. I know that much. Well, and the other thing, too, is once the ISPs start getting money and by tiering the Internet, right, they're not going to let go of that. So, yeah. So once this is is done, it's going to be done. Okay. Speaking of getting money by uh, having tiered comments, <laughs> let's take a break here on Webcology. Um, now we have to, we really have to do this um, because you know the, the 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 airwaves don't come don't come free. So, on behalf of Christine Schackinger from uh, the Vetters and Sight Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Stick around. We're coming back with an interview with Marty Weintraub. In just a moment. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash founder circle. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts 
can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Pick out some new favorite podcasts now at Cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here at Cryberry.fm. This is uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Joined today by Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls and the Vetters. It is the 18th of May. And um, you might notice the Chris Cornell music playing in our ins and outs. It's a, a sad day. Um, it's now been, uh, it's now come out that uh, Chris Cornell uh, committed suicide. Um, he was uh, found in his Detroit hotel room um, hanging while uh, during a, a sound work. Um, anyhow, the. Uh, Yeah, long and the short of it is uh, we're trying to commemorate Chris Chris Cornell through uh, his music um, on the ins and outs. So I promised you guys just before going to break, we had come a interview with Marty Weintraub, and uh, well, here at uh, Webology, it's our promises we are going to deliver. Dave Davies a couple weeks ago was at a conference in Seattle where he got to meet uh, we got to meet Marty. And, um, Brasco, we, we, we have that interview queued up, don't we? Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the incomparable Marty Weintraub. Conversions happen before people can get to your website and after they leave your website. So if you don't understand the user intent of why people are, are coming to the website in the first place, you're not going to have great advertising. And on the back end, if they've come to your site and you're sending terrible follow-up emails that aren't conversion-oriented, you're turning people off. We've all gotten these emails. They say things like, I wanted to follow up with you. Really? Who are you and why the hell do I care that you wanted to follow up with me? How about thank you for my time, your time today and we discussed this. It occurred to me, we should have also discussed this and this, which you might find interesting because our other clients really told it, you know, something along those lines where it's extra interest. Testing is great. We're big proponents. But you can't make it all of CRO. Now, you brought up something that's sort of near and dear to me. You're right early on in that. Um, and it's a challenge for, I think, everybody where you talk about sort of testing. Yeah, that's great, which, which we all know that it is, and it's, it's all important. But that it might not tell you new technologies you might want to use and, and that sort of thing. We're all locked in our own box. Where do we go for these fresh ideas on things we might not think to think about in our quest for tests? Um, well, if we're talking about technologies to start with, 
then one of the best things to do is to come to a conference like this, the conversion conference, because in addition to the speakers, and don't get me wrong, we have outstanding speakers here talking about all sorts of new tips and techniques, but the networking events where you're meeting with your peers from other companies, the cross-sharing of information really uh, is so invaluable, it might even be more invaluable than some of the sessions themselves, because these are your peers who have done something similar uh, to what you've done and maybe have a unique twist on it or tried a new technology. There's always something new out there. Recently we heard, for example, about a, uh, a technology that grabs your IP address and then has like an 85% chance off of your IP address, if it's a home IP address, to be able to drop a piece of mail directly to your house. So imagine if you were on a site that was selling, um, you know, high-end barbecues or lead generation for insurance or, you know, something consumer-oriented. And they don't tell you who they are because they were anonymous and they leave. And you know they were on, let's say, these five specific pages and you drop uh, a, a, a piece of mail that goes to their house. And, and uh, you don't want to be creepy about it, but if they get a piece of mail that kind of says are interested in insurance or barbecue grills or whatever the thing is you're selling, that is a, a conversion technology to get them to come back because otherwise those might be lost opportunities for you. Well, you bring up a good point. And, and actually, you mentioned the people and that you just meet in the network events, you mentioned the sessions, which are obviously great. Um, and I know I, I met a bunch of the people in the exhibit hall. I was actually learning quite a bit about some things I didn't know were being produced yet. And, you know, some great personalization people and, you know, showing in the good call and stuff. So great conference for that too for our listeners who might be thinking about going next year. But we'll talk about that sure. um, a little bit later here. So what else? I mean, you, you covered a lot of ground on, on the different mistakes that people need to avoid. Can you give us any other hints or tips on what are some things that you just commonly see that you've been telling people and, and in your session told people you really need to not do this or, or avoid this? Um, well, I'm going to go back to testing just for one more moment. Uh, there's an element of testing that always worries us when people talk about testing velocity. Testing velocity is not a thing, okay? People think it's a thing. It's not. It's just a bad idea. Because if you're focused on how quickly and how many tests can I run through, then you're not taking the time to put together tests that are well thought out that have more of a chance of winning. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are statistics out there that say if you've got an A-B test, you've got a one in four chance of winning, but the more variations you have, and again, assuming you've got the right traffic, the higher the chance of the test having a winning variation. Further, is if you've got lines of code in there, if you've got less than 50 lines of code, again, you've got like a one in four chance. If you've got a couple hundred lines of code, it means you've really thought this through. And those tests that have, um, you know, we'll call it seven or more variations, a couple hundred lines of code, the more thought out tests, the ones that are much more strategic, those can win, you know, 70 to 80% of the time. Uh, but people don't do that. They're so worried about, oh my God, I'm measured on the number of tests I can get through, and I hope I get a little lift off of this next test. Testing velocity, if it is a thing, it's a bad thing, Dave. <laughs> So in that case, you're, you're thinking of an individual test. You know, when I think of a test, I'm like, well, if I'm running seven variations, I'm running seven tests. Whereas in, in the way you're thinking about it, the person saying I'm running an A-B test, I can run seven of those and get, quote unquote, more testing done, but actually get less data from it. 
Well, what happens is when you're running a, a, a test with all these different variations, um, you're able to test different elements. Uh, and then while not everyone can do, you know, let's say a multivariate test where it's, it's truly, you need a lot of volume for that and it can be a little complicated. But if you're doing something where you can run multiple variations of the same page all at the same time and split your traffic across those different variations, trends will start to appear. And um, once you have those trends, you can then narrow down the test later on and, and figure out, oh, I've got two that are winners but this other one was kind of a winner. What do I need to do to maybe tweak it even further? So you might do a follow-on test off of it. But just having, you know, let me test this, this, this page versus a challenger, it either wins or loses. It doesn't really tell you enough. But if you have some number of variations, um, that tells you a ton. And here's one of the things it tells you. If you have a bunch of variations and nothing wins, that tells you that you never have to test in that area again, practically, because those pages are something no one cares about. On the other hand, and, and Dave, you're laughing at me, but I'm serious. <laughs> so uh, on the other side, if you run a test, and people are horrified by this idea, but if you run a test and your test completely tanks off of your, um, uh, you know, your control, that is actually great news, because what that tells you is people really care about that page. So maybe what you put up wasn't the right answer, but that's where you need to dig in and really understand that page better because that's an important page. And of course, we all love the test where it just explodes and you get a, a great win. But you learn something valuable, whether a test is inconclusive, a big win, or a massive failure. And people make the mistake of thinking that the only tests that matter are the ones that win. So now, how do you, a challenge that I, I know I've had, and I'm sure a lot of people have, and you guys are experts at figuring this out, is where do I even start? I love my site, right? I know my way around my site. I have no problem getting there. My baby can never be ugly. How do you begin to start to think about what are you testing? Like, if I'm going in there as a marketer going, okay, I need to, need to test, how do I know what I should be testing, or how can I think outside the box and actually start to figure out something we've never thought of before? Uh, one of the ways you can do that is you can use a user panel, some, somewhere like usertesting.com, and have some people go through your site and have an open mind because they're going to be surprised about different things on your site. And whenever you get somebody going, oh, hmm, oh, I'm not sure about that, that's an area that you need to potentially look at to test. You're, you're used to your own site. You expect certain things to happen. Years ago, I was a computer programmer, and I was told by my boss that, uh, that I was not a good programmer. And I've been there about a month or two. And I said, what do you mean? I wrote this program in, in, in a day. I said, I'm very good at this. He says, I bet you I can break it in five minutes. I said, no, you can't. He put his hand on the keyboard, just pressed a bunch of keys, the thing blew up. I said, well, people aren't going to do that. He goes, yes, they are. He says, don't, you know, you, you can't assume that just because you wrote it a certain way, that's what people want to do. Well, it's the same thing is true in CRO. Just because you've, you've created your website in a certain way, it doesn't mean that's how people are wanting to use it. That's why those user panels are very helpful, because they tell you how people really think. Do people, this is just a, an opinion question on, on this angle, but are people fairly predictable once you learn to think about things like that? Like once you go, okay, people are going to do erratic things, can we start to predict what they will do to create sort of foolproof models to create that software so it won't break, to, to create tests that are consistent 
even when our users might not be, is there a consistency in the chaos? Um, I guess my answer to that would probably be no. I mean, people are unpredictable, and so you just never know. And frankly, I've never met the perfect developer, um, and I prided myself on being pretty good. The reality is we always miss things. That's why you want to have constant iterations to always improve. That's why testing and CRO is an ongoing effort. So just because you, you run the user panel, just because you run the test, and you've got wins and you've fixed it, that doesn't mean you never go back to that page and test it again. First off, you might have improved it, but you might not have improved it all the way it could be improved. Second, the world changes. And when the world changes, everything from the economics in the world to political uncertainty, people have different feelings. They're happy, they're worried, they're, you know, who knows what their, what their moods are in general. Um, you have a new competitor that you didn't have before. Uh, there's new um, types of, um, of uh, standards for websites, you know, uh, mobile responsive, whatever it is. You've got to keep testing. You've got to go back every once in a while and say, is this still good or not? So nothing's ever perfect, Dave. Now, you said every once in a while, which has to lead me to the question, and they change a bit niche by niche, but how often is every once in a while? How often should people be revisiting, putting fresh eyes, going to user testing, sending some people through? How often does this have to happen? Well, there's a couple answers to that. Redesigning a site should probably happen every two to, depending upon your, your, your niche, maybe five years, but no longer than that. But two years is absolutely reasonable to, to do a redesign, some type of rescaling. It may not be a complete redesign, but that's nothing unreasonable with that. However, you should be looking at your pages and your website, frankly, every month. You should be looking at your numbers and your analytics. You should be figuring out is something changing or not. And you should be running these user testing panels. You should be using heat mapping tools like Inspectlet or Lucky Orange or Clicktail and seeing the patterns. Are the patterns changing? All right, Because otherwise you wind up on a site, you're fat, dumb, and happy, and you're hoping for the best, and you have no idea. We had a client approach us they, uh, they were concerned about the conversion rate because their revenue was down. When I dug into their analytics, it turned out that their conversion rate had been dropping for five years and they had no idea because their average order value was going up and their traffic was going up. So their revenue was going up and all of a sudden when they couldn't get more traffic and the average order value, the, the conversion rate continued to drop. They started to worry. But the problem didn't happen last month. The problem started five years ago, and they weren't paying attention. Now, so let's say I, I notice, because it's a pretty easy stat to get if you've got your analytics set up, right? I notice that my conversion rates are dropping. Is there a first point, and there, there usually is in most things, where would you first go to figure out what the hell's going on? Well, here's the bigger problem. And I can't tell you how many people come to us and they don't have the analytics set up correctly, or if they do have the analytics set up, they don't look at it. There have been so many times where we've got a new client coming on board, they're just dissatisfied. We ask about their analytics, we look at it, and it is a complete and total mess. They're not measuring correctly, they don't have it set up, they don't have funnels, they don't have, um, if they're an e-commerce site, they don't have that set up. Uh, you would think that this is all common sense. People just don't do it. Now, there's a lot of people who will be listening to this and say, well, that's not me. I promise you, even if you think you've got your, your analytics set up, have somebody outside take a look at it 
and and make sure that what you think you're you're measuring is actually being measured correctly. Um, again, we've seen really sophisticated companies who had really good analytics that they were proud of, and when we dug in, we found out, oops, they really didn't have the right numbers. So now, what do what do you guys do about that? Like, let's let's just go. Okay, now I'm I, I'm convinced. I need help, um, and I'm kind of you know I don't know if my analytics is good. I don't know what it is. What do you guys do to, to help me um, as I'm trying to, to muddle my way through here? Well, our, the first step in any of our processes is we do a complete analysis of all of your different touch points. We look to see you know, where your visitors are coming from, what's happening on your website. If you've got phone support, what happens when someone calls? If, you, if, um, if you've got chat, what happens when you chat? What follow-up emails do you get? What, um, uh, you know, what happens when, uh, when they buy a product? Can you return a product or subscribe? How do you cancel? So we look at all the, the various touch points in the journey, including the analytics. And this takes us a couple months to do. Um, you were talking a little bit about ugly baby and no one wants to make their babies ugly. Well, this is a painful experience for a lot of people, but at the end of it, we give them a roadmap that says, here's what you need to do in which order. In a lot of instances, one of the first things can be, you really we need to work on the analytics. Yeah. But in other instances, it might not be the analytics. It might be, oh my God, when people call into your phone support, you know, they want to hang themselves afterwards. You've got the most depressing people on the face of the planet. You know, I'm joking, but this has happened. So, step one is really figuring out what's broken. Step two is putting a roadmap together of both strategic and tactical initiatives. You work on the tactical stuff first to get the quick fixes, and then you work on the strategic elements to really boost the, uh, the economic value for the company. Now, I know I've got a, another line of question, but I could carry this one for probably hours longer. But for, for our listeners, and for your sake, because you know, you're from Site Fingers and this is your conference, I don't want to tie you up all afternoon. Where can someone go to keep up with what you're telling me now? Like, is the site tuners? I follow you on Twitter, so I know the answer to this question already. <laughs> uh, but what properties? Where can people sort of keep up and get these kind of tips, and sort of maybe look at what they're doing and then get some fresh ideas that way? Well, people can absolutely follow us uh, at sitetuners.com on our main website. They can also follow us on the conversionconference.com. And uh, in addition to that, um, we have people calling us uh, and asking for our opinions uh, fairly often. We're happy to lend a helping hand, uh, as long as it just doesn't get out of hand, so to speak. Um, having said that, uh, the conversion conference, this is the last one we're going to have in the U.S. this year, or forever, actually. Uh, we're rebranding the, the conversion conference and expanding it into Digital Growth Unleashed. You can still go to the conversionconference.com website for information. Uh, we're going to be changing that over very shortly. But we're expanding it to cover more aspects of conversion. Today, conversion conference is mostly about what happens on your site. In the future, it's going to be about what happens before they get to your site. How do you pre-convert those people? What about the traffic up front? What happens on, on your site? And then third, what happens after you leave the site? So those are three different tracks. The before the site on the site and after the site from a conversion standpoint. Okay, friends. Um, about that interview, Frasco's got something he wants <sighs> to say to you. Okay, so it, <laughs> it, so a little context. This was from Conversion Conference Las Vegas back in April. And there were two Martys that spoke at the event. One of them is what we all well know and love, Marty Weintraub from AimClear. 
I was wrong on which Marty it was. It was actually Martin Greif or Marty Greif, executive VP of Site Tuners. That's who Dave spoke to on this interview. Again, my apologies. Okay, and I'm just a bit of like contact here. Site Tuners is Tim Ash's company. Tim Ash yeah. is the fellow who organizes Conversion Conference. Which, by the way, we're having a future episode of PBC Rockstars that Tim is on, and he talks about that change that Marty just mentioned there, that they're going to rename the show from Conversion Conference to Digital Marketing Unleashed. Excellent. Excellent. And you know what? Even if he didn't have that announcement about the you know, change in branding and stuff, uh, Tim Ash is a guy you want to listen to. Yeah. When Tim speaks, you want to, you want to sit and listen. Um. Okay, we got to take another break here on Webcology on Cranberry.fm. It's uh, the 18th of May, 2017. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Ways Media. And um, Christine Schackinger from The Betters and Sites Without Walls. Stick around. We're back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm.
toughest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Hedger for Digital Always Media, and I'm joined by Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls and the Betters. Uh, Christine, I don't know if you saw in Search Engine Journal the other day, uh, your friend and mine, Tony Wright, uh, she was with yesterday. You saw the bad SEO information, too easy to find and impossible to escape. I did. It's, I mean, like, he's right. It's, it's just so much out there, right? Eh? What do you think? Oh, I think there's a lot of bad info, just like there's a lot of bad providers out there. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's hard. I mean, like, you, you want to... You want to tell people how to avoid bad info, but it's so pervasive. And um, even even in the mainstream journals, and, you know, Search Engine Journal, sometimes Search Engine Land, sometimes uh, the SEM Post, um, you know, the clunkers get through, right? Yeah, there's one author I know who writes for Forbes, Search Engine Land, Search Engine Watch, another one I can't think of, and uh, he's almost always wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure why he's still writing. I won't call him out by name. Everyone in the industry knows who I'm talking about. But, yeah, it's kind of surprising how that happens sometimes. Now, we can't tell you where to go to avoid or where not where not to go to avoid uh, bad information. But there are some things we can tell you that would be like, you know, hallmarks of crappy SEO information. Um and honestly, Christine and I haven't talked about this ahead of time. I'm, I'm actually, I'm putting her on the spot right now. And I'm putting Uh-oh. myself on the spot, too. <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. Um, information that, uh, if, if, if you're reading something and it sounds like doing this procedure is going to be a magic bullet for search rankings, it's probably not. Probably true. <laughs> okay, your turn. Ah. I would agree with that. Also, if it's the latest set of buzzwords, like for a while there, you know, content was everything and nothing else mattered. <laughs> it's like, well, content's really important, but other things matter too. I think any anytime someone talks in absolutes when it comes to SEO can be pretty sure that that is not a very accurate article because no matter what in SEO works, there will be a use case where it doesn't oh, and, vice, and vice versa. Well, that pretty much covers the gamut for everything else I might have said, doesn't it? <laughs> but you're absolutely right. If somebody says something in absolutes in this industry or if they don't couch it in, in phrases like it tends to do this, right? then they're probably pulling it out of their hat. They are because it's just not. Yeah, there's always a there's always an edge case, a different use case, some verticals it works for, some it doesn't. So it, it definitely should be have specifics, and they definitely should be citing references to things that maybe Google has said, possibly. Okay. You know? Although, as um, you know, as 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 Gary Ease himself said last week, sometimes if Google's saying it, it too might be bad SEO advice. Well, no, that's really true. And one caveat. Love John Mueller. He's such a nice guy, but he speaks from the engineer point of view. So sometimes I've watched his hangout and he gives SEO advice and he forgot the SEO portion of that advice. Did, so it's like, uh, yes, engineering wise, that's great advice. Unfortunately, SEO wise, really bad advice. So did you did you see uh John Mueller's hangout the other day from the Googleplex itself? He uh he got a, he got a few um SEOs to uh Join them at the Googleplex, and they they did a, an open hangout. 
Yeah, Jennifer did one of those when we were at SMX uh, West a month ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah. So I guess they're doing that more often. They're being more open and friendly. But, but uh, yeah, I think just, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably not. And uh, if they blanket it to the entire Internet, then it's probably not accurate either. Well, well speaking of too good to be true – the thing about Google doing like being more communicative. <laughs> um, what do you think? Do you trust them? Uh, does, that, does, that, <laughs> does that suggest that something might be coming down the pipe that Google knows it's going to need to explain heavily to, uh, to to webmasters and SEOs? I don't know because there was one incident on Twitter where Gary said he'd only give information to five people, and then at the next conference he was much more open. So I don't know. Maybe Google said maybe that's not a good idea. Because well, we we told them that you know if you guys don't give us information we're just going to fill in the blanks ourselves. So what what, 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 what like pulling the journalist the uh, the the old sleazy journalist trick? Well, you know, if you don't make a comment, we'll just have to fill in the blanks. Well, yeah, but not even that way. You know how it works in the industry, right? If there's some movement on and everyone oh, knows oh, something happened last night, all the private groups are like, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, and if Google doesn't confirm it or deny it, then we fill in those blanks well, as indeed. best we can, right? Indeed. So, I've, often, yeah. I've often suggested that SEO is the world's largest knitting circle, <laughs> the, the SEO community, because we, we sit and we, we gossip uh, technique all day long, right? It really, it really is. It also makes it very cool. But Well, yeah, it does make it very cool. Um, yeah. And it's it's interesting. And, and this is this – is, uh, who was it who pointed this out the other day? It might have been uh, – might have been it was Alan Blywyth, actually. Um, audit man, Alan Blywythe. Um, so there is this really right wing, um, for Marine. And I, 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 of all the American services, I respect Marines big time. Um, Jeremy Knopf, um, and him and I agree on like nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But we have an affinity with each other. Like the dude's a brother. I, I really like Jeremy a lot, even though him and I agree on, like, nothing. And I'm sure we actually agree on a whole bunch more than nothing. But we're political political exact opposites. True. <laughs> and there's this amazing uh, kinship in the SEO community, mostly because we're, uh, we exchange information so much. And, Christine, we can't lollygag. I'm afraid we've, um, we've run out of time. Oh, wow. We did a whole hour. Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls and the Vetters, thank you so much for sitting in at the last minute here on Webcology on Cranbrook. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to uh, Webcology on Cranberry on the 18th of May, 2017. Stick around the network. We have incredible content coming up after news. And Dave Davies and I will be here. Talk to you next week. opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry Newsmark and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 